This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14-day trial, visit shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actual tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that's tried to start eight other businesses and finally hit a success all while doing it on the side. In this episode, you'll learn how to validate an idea early from someone that's tried to start eight other businesses, how to get unbiased feedback from friends and family, and what processes and systems to set up to market your product successfully. Today, I'm joined by Grant Ellis from nutbutternation.com. That's N-U-T-B-U-T-T-E-R-N-A-T-I-O-N.com. Nut Butter Nation makes amazing nut butters and amazing flavors with only 100% natural ingredients. We're started in April 2015 and based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, Grant. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So tell us more about your store and what are what is the product that you sell? So we sell all natural flavored peanut butter. So we have four different uh, flavors and uh, that's our core offering. Cool. So what is uh, what got you interested in this? Like, Were you in the industry at all before um, decided to open up your own store? No, actually, I was in the exact opposite. I was, uh, I was in finance. I've been in finance for a long time. And so it kind of sounds interesting, I guess, that now I'm in food, which, of course, brought about some unique struggles. But no, I, I keep a running list of, of ideas that I'm interested in. And this one um, sounds funny, but I actually had a dream about it. And uh, in my dream, there were all these amazing peanut butter and originally almond butter flavors. And I literally woke up and told my wife, hey, I'm thinking about starting a, uh, a peanut butter company. And she rolled her eyes, but uh, that's kind of how it happens for me. And then I just uh, started doing some test marketing and it kind of took off from there. And, and now almost a year later, here we are. Yeah, I love peanut butter. And I gotta, I'm got i looking at your site right now and I got to close it because I've eaten breakfast yet and this is <laughs> so delicious. Um, so Thanks. the um, so the, the dream you had, was it um, you had this dream about uh, – basically being in this industry, did you also have like a kind of overarching dream about why you wanted to leave your finance job? I'm, I'm sure it was probably pretty stable and, you know, didn't have to worry about running a business like you are today. What made you decide to make that jump into do something like this? Well, actually, I've had several other entrepreneurial ventures over the last, I guess, eight or 10 years. Um, you know, people talk a lot about failing and trying things. And I guess this is probably my seventh or eighth technical company, I guess you would say, since they all had LLCs. Mm-hmm. And, and really what happened is uh, whenever the four-hour work week came out, I got the, the Tim Ferriss bug, like a lot of people do, and uh, just kind of realized that I'd wanted to start something for a long time and you know was fearful about it and, and didn't know what I was doing. And so I've, I've started several things. So I've learned how to fail. <laughs> and, and so when this happened, I, you know, I learned enough to know that you can do things on the side while you're still working. And actually, I still have a financial practice, so I, I still run that as well. But I, you know, sometimes when you're starting a, a new company or new venture, you think it's got to be the whole, you know, quit your job, double mortgage your house, raise a bunch of money, whatever the case may be, and go all in. And, and for me, it's definitely not the case. I'm a big fan of the side hustle. And so this started off as, as a side hustle. And originally, you know, it was me working during the day in finance, 
And then at night, destroying my kitchen, which my wife loved, trying to create peanut butter recipes. So it was, it was a side thing, and it just grew and scaled uh, up from there. That's awesome. So I want to, uh, we were talking before the podcast about how it's important to talk about the failures and everything. So seven or eight companies in, and what was it, like every once a year you were trying to start something new or like, what talk us through your kind of, um, maybe even give us some examples you're comfortable of the things you've tried in the past and maybe why they didn't work. Sure, sure. Well, uh, my first company I ever opened was my financial practice, which I opened when I was 26 or 27, uh, which I guess was about nine years ago. And that was really, I'd worked for a large financial corporation and got sick of having, you know, 10 bosses. And I, at that point, was naive and cocky and thought I knew everything. So I opened a financial practice and, and learned a little bit about what it meant to open a business, but then kind of got the, the bug in terms of uh, other products and services a couple of years later. And give you some examples. Uh, I started blogging several years ago and and switched platforms and opened a health and fitness blog and tried to create some things on some some uh, digital products on that front. Completely failed uh, on that. And then uh, actually last year, we uh, I say we, the Royal We, I created and, and uh, launched a golf fitness product. It's called the Stretch Caddy. And I think that the site is still up and we still trickle in sales. But that was really a project of I wanted to learn what it meant to uh, source and release a product. So we sourced the materials in China, and I built them in my garage and went through the patent process and et cetera, et cetera. And, and really, uh, we put that on pause. I still want to do something with that, but it, it was kind of, you know, you learn a lot of lessons and you learn what you don't know. And I didn't know how to market it. I didn't know how to get it out to the people that needed to, or, or I thought would need to see it. And then people weren't spending money on it. And so that's kind of a a key lesson that you need to either pivot or do something different. So mm-hmm. I kind of let that let that go. So yeah, it's been about once a year thing, and then this just happened to really resonate both with uh, with me and also with our customer base. Yeah, that that's um, a good reason to stop working on something when no <laughs> one's buying it. But yeah, there, yeah, it's a it's a signal, a good signal to pay attention yeah. to. So have you? Are there other uh, maybe nice like examples, but like uh, red flags that make you think? I guess when you were going through these seven or eight companies, that made you think, okay, this is not something I should pursue. Because I think this is a a common kind of issue that entrepreneurs have, which is that they don't. They either give up too soon, like right before any success, or they uh, hold on too long. So how do you find out the best time to pivot or give up? So I think for me, one of the main things I've learned over the last few years is to validate the product early. Uh, and so a lot of times, especially, I mean, even my own in my own ventures, you get really excited about something you come up with, you know, especially the first couple of times because it's so new. You're used to working for someone else. And all of a sudden you have this idea and you think it's great and you're excited about it and everybody around you because they want to support you tells you how great it is either. But it, like you said, if nobody wants to buy it or will pay for it, then it doesn't do any good. So at first it was, hey, my idea is great. I think it's great. I'm going to be able to sell a lot of them. I'm smart. Let me bring this to market. And what I learned, especially with, with Nut Butter Nation, early on was to validate and try to scale incrementally, meaning that from the, from the very first days it was, hey, let me send these samples out. They're not ready, but let me see if anybody likes them and, and let me fi- find out what they don't like about them. And then let me, let me early on figure out if they will pay for them. 
And so that was a key lesson to me is just to validate that product early on, no matter what you think about it, because it could be great. I think there's a lot of great products out there that people don't pay money for. So that's a, that was a big lesson for me to learn. Mm, makes a lot of sense. Cool. So I think that's a, a great, great, um, I guess, approach to any business is to find out as soon as possible bef- before you invest too much more time and money into it if anybody's going to end up giving you money for it. And that's kind of the biggest <laughs> vote of confidence, really. Uh, right. So- so these, you know, seven or eight companies you started in the past sounds like you were other than a financial practice one. They sound like they were are they are all on the side, which obviously is going to consume a lot of your kind of downtime if you have any at all. So how do you prevent this burnout from doing so many or starting up so many different things? Sure, that's, that's a good question. Well, first of all, I, I did I haven't always. Um, I definitely was the person who would work all hours at night and sacrifice, you know, healthy habits and sleep and things like that. And I think a lot of times as an entrepreneur or a new entrepreneur, you think that's the way it has to be is that I, you know, if I want to be successful, I have to quote unquote hustle all the time. And so that's, that's who I was a couple of years ago. And I did get burned out. I got, you know, I, I gained weight. I, I became unhealthy. I got tired and I just wasn't effective. And then throughout this whole process though, I, I, I'm a big believer. I mean, I love reading everything I can and listening to podcasts like yours and I'm kind of an info junkie on that. And, you know, you sort of figure out that the really successful entrepreneurs are also very, very good at balance, meaning that they know when to turn it on and when to turn it off. And they know they have to take care of themselves physically and mentally. And so I started really trying to work on that. And so what I do now, first of all, in terms of time, people do ask a lot, like, how do you have the time to do everything you do? And and usually... I think we all have a lot more time than we realize, meaning that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking to someone, I'm, you know, that I might have talked to at a college class and they're asking about that. First things I do is ask them, you know, when's the last time you watched TV or, you know, what did you do the last several nights from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. or, or in the morning from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m.? And usually it's the standard thing, you know, well, you, you work and you go home and you watch TV and, and yada, yada, yada. But for, if you want to do something on the side, which for me was a less risky proposition, you have to, number one, really utilize the time you have. So I work, uh, I get up right now every morning at 445 and then I write or work from about 5 to 630 while my wife is at the gym and then we switch and I go to the gym um, because that's important to me too. And then I, and then I go to work and then after work, uh, quote unquote work. If I'm working on anything, it's the same thing. I, I spend time with my kids and I try to be present when I'm there with them. So whether that be from six to eight when they go to bed, but then I immediately switch hats and go right back into business mode. And then I shut it down at 10 PM so that I can get sleep. Cause I know I need that. So it's, it's about being efficient. And, and also I, I think another important piece is to stop doing the things that aren't important. I think there's so much we do that really distracts us from the things that are very important. So I started keeping a list of, and, and you know about this, but the, you know, the three to five things that have to get done or that are priorities during a day. And if I get those three things done or five things or whatever it is, then that day was successful because um, it's so easy to go down the rabbit hole of social media and Twitter and reading articles and, and all this stuff, which is great, uh, but that needs to be done you know, outside of production time. So that's, that's kind of how I approach it right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely not just, um, I guess it's, it's dangerous too because, and I have this sign up and I actually wrote an email about this, you might have received it, which was about questioning myself every single time I approach my to-do list, questioning myself every time I add to my to-do list and asking myself, what am I distracting myself from? Because 
a lot of the times uh, the answer is yes, you are actually distracting yourself from something from doing the actual work that matters. And what's even more dangerous is that I think I am being productive by doing something else <laughs> that does add to the business, but it's just lower value. Like for example, sure. reading books. Now books, reading books, I, I'm a big fan of reading and consuming information and everything, but it's still oftentimes lower priority and it should be lower priority than other things. But it's just so much easier just to pick up a book and just read rather than you know doing a work that needs to be done, but you don't want to do. So you decide to procrastinate and pretend you're not procrastinating by picking something else that's easier to do, but not as uh, high priority. So totally feel you on that. Second thing I want to talk to you about, uh, though, is that because, and this is something I face all the time, and you mentioned something about being present, especially with you, when you're with your kids or with your family. Uh, do you ever have to battle this kind of consuming experience where you know, even though you're not working on your business, it's just like business ideas flying in your head, to-dos to -dos are flying through your head, things that you should have done, things that you didn't do that are flying through your head. Do you have those kind of are you consumed by your business or do you find that you're able to separate, um, you know, work from your real life? It's, I struggle with that every single day. I mean, I, I think that's the nature of, of who we are as entrepreneurs and the way we're built is I, I love what I do. I mean, I, I absolutely love it, but yes, it's very, very difficult to shut it down mentally. And so, no, I, I'd love to tell you that, yeah, every day, you know, I'm with my kids and I'm a hundred percent engaged with them. And I, and there are days when, then when I'm better at that and there are days when I'm not. So it literally is a day-to-day -day thing where it, it, it is a struggle and it's a struggle at night, especially, you know, when you're trying to go to sleep mm. and you've got this list of a thousand things that you need to be doing. And, and so it's very, very difficult to do, but I think it's something you have to work on and figure out, right. you know, for me putting some sort of a, a framework in place uh, and I kind of use a balanced framework of the, I have the things I need to do for work every day. And I also have the things I need to do, for myself that keep me healthy. Mm -hmm. So for me, that means um, exercise is very important. You know, last year as I was building the company, I, I quit exercising for a while for, you know, thinking, well, I could use that hour to do something else. But it, it keeps me healthy both mentally and physically. And then, you know, what you're eating throughout the day and how much you're sleeping and, you know, meditation, prayer, whatever it is for you, those things are very important to me as well. And I find that when I when I take the time and build those into my routine, that it's easier for me when I'm with my kids or my wife or whatever to to take a mental break. But no, it's it's definitely it's definitely a day to day struggle. Yeah, and I, that's something I started doing recently too. The whole uh, the meditation practice, and I've done it. I started about maybe about eight nine months ago, and I've tried to do it every day since. And it's funny. I read this thing about how if you are a person that says I don't have time to meditate it means that you need to meditate even more because <laughs> you are just so, you know, kind of consumed by your almost like instinctual things, like attraction to, oh, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. And then you just kind of never stops and you don't take the time or you don't learn how to pause and take a step back and kind of assess the landscape. You're gonna follow these kind of paths forever and not really be more strategic. And if you're not strategic, you can't be efficient. And then it's just a bad cycle to be in. Right. I mean, I, I look at I look at a couple of things on that. I mean, first of all, there are, you know, really, really high-level entrepreneurs that we kind of all look up to. I mean, I'm talking, you know, the Elon Musks and people mm -hmm. like that. And when you look at their practices, they don't ever seem hurried or frenetic in their pace. Mm -hmm. And they typically have or seemingly have a decent balance. I mean, they've worked very, very hard but they've learned how to have balance in their lives and how to segment those things. And I think that is 
a huge piece of why they're successful. And so it's just, it's one of those things where uh, I never got into entrepreneurship or I, I didn't want to do that so that I could work more and be more tired and be less present. It was the exact opposite. It's so that, you know, if it's 2 p.m. and my, my daughter has a piano recital, then I'm going to be there and then I have the ability to do that. So keeping that in mind and keeping that perspective, I think is important. Yeah, definitely. I think having the the kind of freedoms that you're talking about are are you know, super attracted to a lot of us. Uh, so, uh, I guess let's get it back to the, the business itself. So you started this on the side and it's, I think earlier you were saying that it kind of got traction quickly. Can you tell us about that experience? Like, what did you see about it that made you think, wait, wait a second, this is, seems to be a different experience than I had the first, you know, seven other companies that I started and wasn't successful. Sure. Uh, I think one of the things that I did differently was share it with as many people as possible. Some of my other endeavors, and I see this with some people that I consult with and, and work with, it's very easy when you have an idea to keep it close to your close to the vest. You know, you don't. I don't want to tell it to too many people. Either they're going to not like it, or they're going to steal it. Uh, typically, is a fear, and, and I've had that before too. I mean, it's it's very very scary laying yourself on the line and, and being vulnerable with your ideas, and that's what an idea is. Something comes from you know directly from you. So. For the peanut butter company, it was, well, you know, I figured out that that's not how you have to be. You have to share it with as many people as possible so you can figure out whether it's going to work. And so what I did is I literally just asked as many people as I knew. And, and you know, for this, it's, you know, Facebook. There's You just have an immediate connection to a lot of people. And I sent out as many messages as I could and direct messages on a one-on-one basis and emails and saying, hey, listen, I've got this new thing I'm working on. And, and by now, most people know I'm usually working on something on the side. And we would love for you to, we're going to be sending out free samples and we would love for you to check it out. And, you know, FYI, these are not finished, so they may be terrible. Um, you may love them. I don't, I don't know, but we'd love for you to try it. And of course, you know, people love free stuff. So it wasn't like it was a hard sell. Yeah, Grant's going to send me free peanut butter or almond butter or whatever we were working on that day. And so we sent a bunch out and the, you know, the next important step was getting the right, the right feedback because, People are going to tell you the good part immediately. It's, hey, this is great. We love it. Or, you know, like, like the old saying, your mom loves everything you do. So if you have a close group of people, they're going to be supportive and want to help you. So what, what I was very proactive in doing is asking for negative feedback. So the people that we sent it out to, I would contact directly and say, you know, what did you like? But please tell me what you didn't like. And I would not make them, but really ask, you know, even if it's something, what, anything, that we could do better or that you just didn't like, that's important for us and we would like to hear it. So number one, it, it allowed us to really iterate quickly and so, hey, we don't like this consistency. This flavor is too strong, yada, yada, yada. And, and what, what happened is we got uh, to, a, I think, a viable product much more quickly than we would have. And then what we did is when I was even close to having what I thought were decent recipes, and at this point, I didn't know. We were testing 30 recipes. So, of course, it just changes every day. But we started selling very, very quickly. So it was not, hey, we've got to – I think it's really easy, and I've done this, to go, hey, we have to wait till everything's perfect. But we, we launched very, very early, not on Shopify yet and not even really – um, we didn't have a process or a platform. It was mainly, hey, guess what? Thank you for trying the samples. Now we're going to sell this. So we would throw up some jars and, you know, whatever. Hey, we've got honey vanilla uh, in mason jars, and we're going to sell it for $5 a piece. We've only got 30 of them. Who wants to buy them? And so really really early on, and that's, you know, kind of the nerve-wracking part, it was 
are people going to spend money? And we continuously would sell out of whatever recipes we were putting out there. And they were getting better at that point. So it was, like I said, we were scaling in, in incremental levels of we haven't put any money into this really yet. I mean, at this point, I'm buying peanut butter at Costco and mixing it with things in our kitchen. But people were buying it and they were rebuying it. And so that, to me, was a key point of validation that, that you know, said we were heading in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. So, how did you get those uh, very first customers? Like, what were you doing to to you know get, let's say, your first ten sales? That was all friends and family. I mean, exclusively early on, it was if you know at first I have to figure out if people that like me or or say they like me mm-hmm. are going to buy it because they'll tell you they do and they'll try it for free. So it was almost exclusively just Facebook and friends and family of just throwing out messages. Hey, you know, you've tried it. Um, you know, do you want to buy some? And if you have, you know, everybody typically has way too many Facebook friends. I mean, I know I do. And so that was, that was a, a pretty easy way to just early test market is just throwing up Facebook Facebook notices. Mm-hmm. And I, I like how you were specifically looking for the negative or not as a negative, but the critical um, feedback from the people that you were giving these samples to. Did you specifically ask any questions to try to get them to give you a more unbiased answer uh, or like what was your approach there? I, I kind of left it open for them, but I would say, please tell us something we could do better. In terms of this, and usually, you know, when you're talking about this is a a, a staple consumer product, so it's either going to be it tastes good or it tastes bad to me, or mm-hmm. it's going to be the consistency's weird. It's pretty straightforward. There's not you know, fifty five things that they could talk about, but usually it's <laughs> it's do you does it taste good? Do you like it? And would you buy it again? So early on, it was we did a lot of surveys too. I mean, I, I kind of forgot to mention that, but. When we were testing out flavors, we sent a lot of surveys also to our Facebook customers. So we would, it was really trying to figure out what the market was because I thought I knew what it was and I was wrong completely. And so we would send out a survey and say, uh, hey, here are 20 possible flavors. Please rank what you would think would be the top four that you would want to buy. And we'd do that over and over again. And they would also survey people that had sampled and say, you know, put these in order. And do you like peanut butter or almond butter more, things like that. So we really were trying to do kind of a small sample test run uh, using whatever we had, you know, a couple thousand people to, to figure out what the market was and what they wanted rather than me trying to shove my market perspective down their throats. Mm, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about uh, maybe what you learned from those surveys that you were surprised by or maybe you didn't expect to hear from? Sure. Um, every, I mean, everything we have now, we have four flavors right now. And originally, I had a list of 30, and I wanted to have almond butter and peanut butter. Um, actually, almond butter was my primary focus at the beginning. Um, I, had, I had been a vegan for several years and so ate a lot of almond butter. And you know, if you run around in a lot of fitness circles, CrossFit and things like that, almond butter is kind of the, the new king of the, the nut butters. And so I'm like, well, we're going to do almond butter and we might do some peanut butter. And of course, looking at the market, it became clear that peanut butter was still 75% of, of what people buy um, by far. And there were a lot of people who had never tried almond butter. And when they did, they didn't like it. And so um, that feedback was important to me. It was kind of like, okay, maybe what I think is right is not. And the same thing on the flavors. I would go, oh man, this sound, this is going to be the flavor. And then we test market it and it would tank. And so we would change it and we would iterate. 
until we got a really core, I, I will tell you, so what I think one of the important pieces is you get as much feedback as you can, but you do have to make gut decisions. And what I mean by that is, I mean, towards the, the end of the sampling process, there were 10 or so flavors that were, that were selling about equally with, with everybody because everybody has different tastes. Everybody has different preferences. So then it became a little bit of we got feedback from people that we wanted to sell to. At that point, we were scaling and talking to stores and saying, you know, hey, this is what we're going to do. And, and for instance, they, we had a bunch of flavors and they were like, listen, we're not going to carry 10 flavors. We don't have the shelf space. So come up with four maximum and then we'll talk. And so that was, you know, great feedback for me of, okay, I don't need 30 flavors. I need four. And so let's figure out what those are going to be and, and go from there. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the the site now. I think you mentioned. I think we mentioned this at the start of the podcast too about how your focus is on natural ingredients. You know, it says non-GMO here, uh, good source of potassium, protein, minimal ingredients. Like, how did you know that these were important things to kind of put in in the the front and center uh, when you describe your product? Did you learn those from the surveys, or how did you figure that that's the language to use? So that actually came from what we wanted. Um, you know, they always the 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 old term or, or phrase is, you know, if it's if you are the market, that's the product you need to sell. And that was us. I mean, we're really big into trying to eat clean, you know, natural foods. And, and a lot of it also came from what we feed our kids. Um, the, a lot of this whole early concept was all about trying to find something that our kids loved that wasn't full of additives and chemicals and things like that. So, no, it came from us and what we were looking for. And when I was looking in the market, uh, you know, there are a lot of fillers in peanut butters that people don't realize. And then the ones that are really healthy, my kids thought were disgusting. So it was, hey, can I create something that my kids love, that I'm comfortable feeding them? And that's where all of this came from. So when we look for products and we're at the grocery store, there are certain things we look for. And it's the same thing. It's, hey, that's, you know, non-GMO, it's minimal, whatever. And and so that became the, the key points that we wanted to sell because that's we are the market that we want to sell to. Mm, makes sense. Cool. So in ter- so you've been the store has almost been live for about a full year now. You've can you give us an idea of the growth that you've experienced during that time and and maybe what you attribute it to? It's a it's a very interesting question because early on, I, of course, I still don't. But we didn't have any idea what we were doing. And so what I mean by that is. We figured out pretty quickly we needed a good platform, and I know enough about you know digital commerce and e-commerce to know that you got to have a good platform. And it was okay. Where do we go? And Shopify was a pretty easy a pretty easy choice at that point because I had attempted to set up my own uh, you know integrations before with blogs and things like that. And it was very very difficult. And I'm not a tech guy. I have no tech background whatsoever. And so it was. Listen, I don't want to spend months trying to create some website that looks just average. So Shopify was an easy an easy setup for us. And what really what's happened is our early growth was completely organic and via word of mouth. And the reason that is, is because I have no I had no idea what I was doing in terms of marketing. I, I just didn't know. I I am kind of the guy, I mean, I come from finance. So to me, marketing is, hey, throw your product up there, kind of if you build it, they will come syndrome. And so the last year has been me figuring out that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And then starting to really put in you know, processes and systems to really market our product. So from April of last year until literally December, so a couple of months ago, it was all organic and word of mouth and us reaching out to retailers because really our primary distribution, or not primary, but a big part of our distribution is through uh, retailers, so stores and grocery stores. 
And so it became, you know, a lot of us making phone calls. My wife helped out a lot with that. Uh, actually, she did most of it. Calling, calling people, trying to sell through there, and then everything else word of mouth. Uh, of just everybody we know telling them, hey, we've got this new thing. We'd love for you to try it. Gotcha. So how did you get into these uh, retailers that you ended up selling to? Well, what was the process for that? That is extremely difficult. Uh, I, I think you have to figure out, especially with a product, we, we had to figure out early on what our goal was. What I mean by that is if you want to be a local uh, you know, staple in your community and sell at farmer's markets, and local stores and things like that, then you can, that, that's pretty easy to do if you have a good product. Like, a, I can't emphasize enough, the product has to be good. That's like your baseline thing. And so, you know, being in Nashville, Nashville's a big food town right now, and they're extremely supportive of local products. And so, originally, it was going around to everybody in Nashville and saying, hey, we're a new peanut butter company. Would you be interested in carrying us? And that's all of our, I think, our first. 30 stores came that way and it was just really really nice to see the support but it, you know it's kind of like the whole, whole you know your mom loves everything you do i mean the, a lot of those people were going to support us exclusively because we were in nashville and then it really starts to change when you want to scale i mean our our goal has always been to scale nationally in distribution and also to have a very heavy online direct customer presence so national distribution it's a whole different a whole different ball game in terms of the relationships you have to develop and the people, but it's it starts with the same thing it starts with anywhere else, and that's some form of relationship. So it's who knows this industry, who can I meet with, and so really the the my biggest skill set and the thing I've done well over the last year is just know that I really don't know a lot and find the people who do and um, get help from them. That's what I've been good at over the last year. Yeah, that's great that being able to you know, rely on experts and not try to do everything yourself. And before you, um, in, in, earlier you were talking about how you set up these processes and systems to basically have a sales funnel or a way to market your product. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like what kind of systems did you put in place? Sure, sure. I, that's all fairly new. And, I, and if I could do anything differently, it would be to set those systems up earlier. So for the first few months with Shopify, Shopify has been a godsend for us. I mean, it's, it's, you know, especially if you're not technical and that's a, that was a big fear of mine starting businesses. Well, I'm not technical. I can't do this. Shopify with all the apps and everything like that has just been so good. But it was uh, originally it was, Hey, I'm going to throw up Shopify and it's going to, you know, people are going to work. And, and uh, what I've had to figure out over the last few years is that you can't rely on people coming to you. Mm -hmm. So the kind of the inbound thing, you've got to create um, systems and processes for, for getting people, uh, on your radar and for marketing to those people. And so really what, what happened is, you know, there's so much information and it's like, okay, you know, you need an email list, you know, you need to quote unquote market. And I, I didn't know what that meant or what that looked like. And so I, I kind of did what I always do and just really tried to find people who fig who knew what they were doing. The original struggle for me was a lot of the people who are very, very good at digital marketing and the sales funnel are very highly technical. So I didn't understand what they were doing. I didn't understand how the design would work. You know, for a lot of people, it's, hey, throw up this lead box and put a lead magnet in. And that sounds so easy. But if you're not technical, that's not an easy thing to do. And to make it look decent, it's also not easy. So I ended up, I read a book called Traction. And I don't remember, it's by Gabriel, I can't remember his last name. But basically, they had listed out 19 
different sales channels and they had identified them and they had identified a process for going through these channels, testing them and figuring out what would work for you. And that was kind of a light bulb to me because it was, you know, there's the email list, there's uh, digital advertising, print advertising, publicity, all of these different channels. And I had dabbled in them accidentally, meaning that, oh, we got a couple of articles written about us. And, oh, you know, we did this one thing on Facebook and did a giveaway. But that book kind of showed me that you really need to formalize it. And so mm-hmm. what I did is, is started testing channels and figuring out what we would get any kind of traction with. So, for instance, Facebook ads have started to be really good. Uh, so in the last, you know, last week, literally last week was our biggest e-commerce week we've ever had. Not that it was big, but it was because we are putting this formalized process in place. And we've gotten some more PR because, I, you know, I've directly reached out to journalists, which, you know, sounds so funny, but people think, oh, you know, they're just going to call you and they're just going to write about you. And, and figuring out that you have to go and make it happen was important. So we're still working on it. Uh, I'm working with a, a buddy of mine named Scott Finney uh, in Memphis to, to really help us hone in on, you know, our sales funnel. So setting up and, and gathering email addresses and then having automated emails that go out to them for certain periods of time with good content and blog posts. And I mean, you know, it's, it's a lot. Uh, and so it's definitely a process, but it's something we're just trying to chip away at every day. Yeah, that's not the first time I've heard someone talk about the traction book, which is not something I've read yet. But based on what you're saying, what I've heard from other people, it it makes a lot of sense where you have to be, um, I guess, purposeful with your marketing. You can't just be like, oh, I see everybody that's on social. I see people that are doing email. <laughs> I see people collect email addresses this way and just kind of, you know, do half acid, I guess. So, you know, don't, don't go uh-huh. in full bore and like really try to figure out how to do this well. Um, so in terms of uh, these sales channels out there, how do you know which ones to focus on? And, I, and the reason why I ask is because I think it's, the, it's uh, a kind of trap that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into where they try everything all at once. And I think the best way is to really just try one thing at a time because sales channels don't disappear. You know, it's not like you can't, if you don't do it now, it's going to go away. So how did you determine which ones you should be focusing on first? So for, for us... Uh, we kind of tested a little, a little bit of each channel at certain times, and we're still doing this. And, and I think to kind of back up on that, there are certain things you have to be doing. And so, you know, you have to have a decent SEO structure set up. And I didn't know how to do that. So I, I used a lot of the apps at, on Shopify, and then I had somebody who knew what they were doing kind of look at it for me. So SEO, you've got to have. You've got to have an email list. And that's such a – people hear it every day, but developing that email list is so important. So for me, I knew it was important – but I didn't have any way to build it. I just thought, well, they'll come to the website and there's a little box at the bottom that says sign up for email. And so it was formalizing that. It was using lead magnets and giveaways and creating an automation funnel to really build out that email list. So I think at a minimum, you have to be doing a few things, and that's one of them. Beyond that, you, for us, we really are continuously testing on a very small scale different types of, of channels. So as an example, uh, for a product like ours, I think digital marketing and, and e- e-marketing is, uh, and advertising, excuse me, is, is important and a very, a very viable option for a lot of people. So it was like, well, what does that look like? And I don't want to spend, I'm not the guy, we're not going to spend two grand on some advertising. So, you know, in that book, it talks about, well, you can go to all these different platforms 
and test them. And so what we did is we went to uh, pretty much every social media platform that I use or know about, which, you know, being 35 is not all of them, but the Instagrams, the Facebooks, Twitter, Reddit, things like that. Um, and we all had presences on those already. And I think that's a side note, very important to create your presence on digital media very, very early on because it takes time to build. But then we did some very small ad tests. And so we did, you know, $5 tests on all of these different platforms. It was very easy to see that none of the platforms worked for us except for Facebook. We have a, a very high uh, click-through conversion rate off of Facebook. So then... And this all goes back to that book, but then it is, okay, now you know this channel's a, a good option for you. Then it's time to hone in and try to really make that better. So we're still right now A-B testing and advertising and, and different copy and pictures. And it's a long process, but we see the benefit as we're going. I mean, we started doing Facebook ads every day all of a month ago, and we immediately we had our best month uh, online that we've ever had just from – you know, scratching the surface. So it's just a time-consuming process. But there are also ones that we're probably not going to, to try. I mean, we're not at the point we're going to try print advertising or TV or mm -hmm. radio. That's just not good. So I think you can eliminate a lot and then and pick a few and see if they work. And if they don't, stop doing them and do something else. Right. And how do you track all this? Like, Because the only way to determine if it's actually getting any traction or if it's working at all is to look at the data, right? Or are there other ways for you to determine if it's uh, worth, um, you know, kind of doubling down on? <laughs> you know, you're, you're exactly right. And that's hard if you're not technical, like, like me. So yeah. I, I read a lot. Um, I mean, luckily now, I think it's good that the technology is catching up for us non-technical people, meaning that like five years ago, this was impossible for me. But now, the way that things are integrated, uh, even with our systems and our emails, everything works together and it tells me, it gives me a lot of data without me having to be too technical. So, for example, on the Facebook ads, I mean, their, their advertising power editor ad platform is amazing. So I know those ads are just laid out and, you know, I, of course, had to learn what a click-through rate was and what, you know, your, what conversion percentage you're, you're supposed to be looking for. I mean, all that is something I didn't know. So that's just all about getting online or meeting with people and saying, hey, I don't know what that means. I don't know what CTR is. But then once you get the basics, I mean, I, I definitely don't have the best data analytics skills, but I'm working on it. And so it's just knowing, okay, this is kind of what we're shooting for. We'd like, you know, whatever, a 3% click-through rate on a Facebook ad. So if it's doing 0.75, then we need to change something. And then also, um, you know, using Google Analytics and things like that, which are a learning curve but are not beyond anyone's capability. And then, so, for instance, I mean, Facebook will tell me if conversions are our option, you know, there's a tracking pixel that we just loaded on the website at Shopify. And so it tells me, hey, this is how many sales you've had from this ad. So the, the data is becoming easier to get and to understand, especially if you're non-technical. Yeah, that's great. So how long do you run these sales channel experiments and what makes you decide, okay, this is not working or this is something that we should continue to pursue? How do you make those, um, how, how do you, how does the test set up, I guess? How do you know that that's something that it, if it passed or failed? So first of all, I'd say it's an art, not a science a lot of times for me. And, and I'm, I am currently, like I said, working with someone a little bit on a very small scale. Like I said, we don't, we're bootstrapped. I don't have $2,000 a month, but for us, 
we try to set small metric goals. So I'm looking at overall overall uh, statistics, uh, things like um, just visitors to the site. How many people are we getting on a day-to-day basis? Is that going up or down? Um, the bounce rate, how long they're on the site, what pages they're going to, things like uh, like that that are very, very easy to see and give you a good idea in terms of an of a overall trend and whether you're headed in the right direction. And then the Shopify platform is great because it'll tell me a lot of that data just on the dashboard. You know, how many people were there, how many were unique, how many left in under a minute, how many added to cart, and how many bought. So if I'm looking at, for instance, our conversion rates, I think we're at 0.8% like two months ago, which is horrific. I didn't know, you know, I'd never looked at that dashboard. And now, as of yesterday, we were at 4.75%. So right there, you just know that the things you're doing are working. And so really what we're doing now, like I said, we had kind of honed in. Uh, Facebook ads are kind of our priority. Facebook ads and our, our email sales funnel are our two priorities right now. Because you're, you're right, there's only so much time. There are 19 whatever sales channels. You can't use them all. So we found a little bit of traction with those. And so we're placing increased focus on those because uh, I think if you dabble in all of them, you don't make any headway with any of them. And so yeah. uh, you, you've got to focus on a couple that you know are providing some traction. Yeah, earlier in the podcast, you were talking about how you had this build it and they will come kind of uh, fallacy in your head. And uh-huh. even if you start taking steps towards marketing, you could still be following this kind of build it and they will come philosophy because if you, you might think, okay, I showed up on social media. Okay, I showed up, you know, uh, with my, I have an email uh, sign up box on my site. I showed up, so, you know, I'm just going to wait for people to start coming, right? And that's the same kind of mentality that you can get into even if you've started are making some progress because if you don't go in fully, you're still kind of expecting the customer to do the majority of the work. Mm-hmm. And once you start expecting the customers to do the majority of the work, they'll never come, right? Because you have to make it as frictionless and easy as, as possible for them to enter your funnel, to buy your products and to check out your products, check out your brand, check out your store. So I think... Um, that's a really good lesson to, to learn that you, that you bring up. Um, so I want to talk about your email sales funnel because uh, you mentioned it. And also when I showed up on your site, there was that you know big welcome mat that showed up. And for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's a Sumo Me, I think, plugin that you might be using mm-hmm. that basically moves the entire page down and prompts them to sign up. So that's something that I personally use. Were you ever worried about you know conversion rates or bounce rates from people getting that immediately when they show up on your on your store? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the guy that's terrified of making anybody mad or upsetting anybody. Yeah. So forever it was like, Oh, I can't use pop-ups and I can't use this and I can't use that. And that kind of plays into the whole thing of, well, if you know, if you're not going to do that stuff, then the customer is not going to just find you and, mm-hmm. and sign up and buy your product. And so a lot of it was getting over that fear. And, and really what you find out is, listen, you might, you might annoy somebody. I mean, you're, well, you're going to annoy somebody. I mean, that's just in business. There are people that are not going to be happy with whatever you do. And so for me, I mean, I, I listen and, and read a lot from uh, Noah Kagan, who, mm-hmm. you know, created Sumo Me. And it was, he was kind of like, listen, guys, listen, are you, if you're worried about pissing people off, then you're not worried about the right stuff, you know, and you're not, you're just not going to. And so for me, it became, he's right. I mean, our, our goal, we're, we're looking to try to figure out how to optimize our sales process. And if that means having a quick welcome mat that immediately goes up, then so be it. And what you find is that 
I mean, you know, we've gotten three or 400 extra sub- subscribers in the last week, almost exclusively from that welcome mat. So the conversion rates on that are 22% right now. And then the conversion rates on our emails in terms of sales are 20% as well. So it's working. And so it becomes, well, and also I'll, I'll say I haven't gotten any feedback from someone that's furious that we throw a welcome mat or a pop-up or whatever the case may be. I mean, it's just, it's not a worry that you need to, to concern yourself with. Yeah, I, I like that, that how Noah Kagan said that if you're worried about pissing people off, you're worrying about the wrong thing. And I totally <laughs> feel you and relate to you about how you always want to make people happy. And I think that's probably other listeners out there probably are have that kind of um, pleasing, I guess, mentality where you want to make sure mm-hmm. everyone's happy with you and everything. And I almost feel like the sooner you can start pissing people off, the sooner you get okay with it and start focusing more on on the things that do matter. So, I mean, I'm not sure if there's a lesson in there for that, but I think getting over that fear of trying to make everybody happy is an important one because if you're trying to make everybody happy, then nobody is happy and, and neither will you be happy. <laughs> right. No, I mean, 100%, I 100% agree. It kind of, it just goes back to human psychology. You know, you, you're in this business, you want people to like you. I mean, that's the way yeah. we were when we were kids and it, it doesn't change. Uh, but you just have to figure out that you know what your goals are and how you're going to reach those goals. Yeah, and end of the day, like the people that will you know sign up and everything are your true customers. People that get annoyed by and leave, they might have never bought, might never buy from you anyway. So there's always right. that to to think about. Um, so in terms of the emails itself, you know, twenty percent conversion rates are amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, what kind of emails the customers get once they sign up for the email list? Sure. Uh, I, well, first of all, I'll say that our email automation funnel is not good yet. It's getting better. But I, I didn't know, once again, I didn't know how any of this really worked. And it was like, well, they'll sign up. And that for us, that was kind of it. And I was like, well, cool. They'll sign up and, and maybe they'll get an email from time to time. And so what we're really trying to do is create the content now and really build out. So what, what kind of the goal is somebody signs up, you know, we've got it set up. I think there are three emails that are that are set up right now. And the goal in those emails is to really to try to provide them with value and information. It sounds cliche, but if you don't write good content and things that people are going to want to see or hear about. So, for instance, for us, you know, our first email is just an introductory email for me, telling them who we are, why we do what we do, and thanking them for, for checking us out and being a part of it. And you know, sometimes we'll offer a discount code or whatever. And then the second email will be a little bit more informational. So it may be, um, you know, frequently asked questions about our product. Why does the oil separate? And tell us about, you know, GMOs or whatever the case may be. But it's trying to create a relationship with these people without hammering them with sales right up front. Because, uh, you know, the whole nature of a sales funnel is to create a relationship that leads them to purchasing at some point. So that if they didn't buy immediately, that maybe down the line when they get email number nine, that he goes, you know what, you know, Grant and his team aren't spamming me all the time. They're just sending me stuff that I like to read. So you, we look at the open rates and the click-through rates. Because if they're not opening, they're not reading, that means we're not doing our job. And so it's trying to figure out what will resonate with them, which usually is the stuff that we would want to hear. You know, would I like this email? Would I open it and would I read it? Or would I go, man, Grant's a D-bag, quit sending me this trash. <laughs> and so it's creating a lot of that content, which is time-consuming. I mean, you know this creating content. And like right now, I just finished a, a, my first manuscript on a book. So I'm doing a lot of writing, but it, it's very time consuming. If you're going to create, especially a long form post, 
because you've got to edit it and you've got to write it and you've got to make sure it's optimized. So, but I think it's very, very valuable and we're seeing, you know, the uptick in that. And my, my friend Scott, who's helping us on a lot of this stuff, he's kind of my accountability of, listen, how many emails do we have? You know, we're trying to create these 12 initial, what he calls evergreen content emails. And I'm like, well, we're on number three. So I'm, I'm working on it. It's just, you know, like you said, prioritizing and chipping it away at it day by day. But that's kind of how that, that sales process works. And it's all, you know, MailChimp integrated and uh, pretty easy to use at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you mentioned a MailChimp. Are there any other apps or tools that you rely on to help you run the business? Oh, so many. And I love them all. <laughs> it's, it's so, I mean, it's perfect timing for, for opening a business and, a, and an e-business especially because of how many great tools there are. Um, I guess to list a few of them, I use, of course, Shopify. We use a lot of the SEO apps. We use Lead Dino for, uh, we, have, we just set up um, some of the new channels we have. We have an affiliate and an ambassador program and an athlete sponsor program. And we've had some nice traction with those as well, which I had never thought about until you know a month ago. So we use Lead Dino for uh, our affiliates. We also have Recurring Orders app, which we now have a subscription model. So you can have peanut butter delivered to you every month without having to order, which is great. It's another option for them. Um, let's see. We integrate with MailChimp. I use currently. I'm kind of testing out. We use Lead Pages for some of the stuff in terms of uh, some pop-ups and some sign-ups. Um, not a lot, but some. I use all of the Sumo Me tools. So uh, Sumo Me is great. I mean, you said you use them, but they have so many really amazing free versions. I mean, the free versions can can help you build that email list. Yeah, so much more than anything I've ever found. And then, you know, the way they do it, they provide so much value on the free level that I, I want to purchase some of their pro, uh, their pro stuff just because it's so good. Uh, and then we're, we're testing out ConvertKit, which is a Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income. Uh, is, he works with Nathan Berry, and they created that, and that's, that's been pretty good. And then on the, on the back-end side, we use all kinds of things. We use Shipping Easy for our shipping program. Um, that we still fulfill everything ourselves, so that's a nice integration. We use Zero, which is X E R O, and that is our accounting software, which integrates directly also. So it's just creating all these things that integrate is so so important and time saving. Um, I'll tell you the one of the main tools that I use. So we do all of our I when I say we, but I, I've done all of our photography and all of our graphic design for all of this. And so not having a background in that, the tools are extremely important. Um, number one, learning how to take decent pictures with you know, your iPhone has been very important. Uh, and Shopify's blog, if, you, if, if somebody's listening and they're not on Shopify's email list that you get the blog, do it now because it's, it's some of the most actionable information I've ever seen. For instance, the photography, it's you know how to take professional pictures with your iPhone. Like, wow, that's great. I don't have to spend $1,000 on photography. And I use Canva a lot. And Canva is a graphic design uh, web application that is drag and drop and, and professional looking. So everything I create is through Canva and it's so easy. And for me, who's I can't do anything on graphic design, that's been a lifesaver. So those are some of the main ones. And of course, there's the 100 apps I use personally to keep, keep the whole system uh, moving along. Yeah, for for a guy that that proclaims that he's not that technical, you use a ton of tools and apps. So I think that's uh, that's awesome that you've been able to <laughs> figure a way around that. You have to, right? I mean, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that's if you don't know how to do it, there's definitely some app that's going to make it a lot easier for you to to run your business. Definitely recommend people, you know, buy apps, you know, invest in your business, especially if it's going to save you time and learning how to do it yourself or just the headache. You know, I think it's worth investing in anything that's going to help you automate or or you know make anything easier for you to, to help you run your business. Oh yeah, absolutely. Cool. So you know, what's in uh, what's in store for the future? What uh, what do you have planned for for the remainder of this year? Uh, yeah, so year one was setup and user uh, user marketing. Meaning, I, I I heard this from somebody interviewing Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, I think it was Noah Kagan, and it was talking about their year one. Their goal was users. It wasn't revenue. And I thought about that, and I was like, that's really interesting. And we kind of knew last year we're not going to set up and make a million dollars. So our goal was was user base and retail user base. And so I think we did a good job. So this year. It is scale, scale, and also revenue. So we just hit national distribution, uh, meaning that you know we have the potential to go to two or three thousand stores in the next nine to twelve months. So that's really a heavy goal in terms of my process is getting that facilitated because, of course, you're dealing with national distribu- distributor uh, distributors and brokers and everything like that. So we want to go. As uh, as wide and high as we can the next year, and also the other a huge goal of mine is our direct to consumer e commerce. I, I really the, the more that we've been working on it, I can see how how vital of a channel and how important it can be for a business. I mean, if you think about it in in this way of let's say that you can do uh, a couple of thousand dollars a month in e commerce business. That's first of all, even if you're just doing that as a side business, that's life changing for a lot of people. But for a business like ours. Which, when we're dealing with distributors and national stuff, is that can be very slow. Uh, there's paperwork mm-hmm. and process. The online business, it's just that's so much more uh, the way that people buy now. And so we're really trying to optimize that and figure out, you know, do we want to do things with Amazon or, or whatnot? But luckily, that is, um, you know, becoming more efficient, and and that's a, a big goal for me personally this year. Awesome. So can you share with us how successful the business is today? Any numbers or anything that you're comfortable sharing? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like to share the numbers just because I think it gives a, a more realistic view of what's going on. We're going to hit one year in on April 1st, and we, la- we technically launched April 1st of last year, but really uh, we didn't sell hardly anything until a few months later. But I think we're going to hit right around 75000 in revenue uh, as of April 1st. That's what we're looking for. Um, which we're very happy with. Like I said, revenue, I, I'm not paying myself right now. We have six employees and we moved into our own manufacturing facility in December. And so the goal has been to invest in the business for future growth. So 75 in revenue, um, but I mean, we want to be a multi-million dollar company and we know that that comes through uh, through national distribution. So yeah, we're really happy where we're at. We're not profitable yet. We're not, we weren't ever, ever anticipating being profitable until probably next year just because the way we built the business we like i said we have our own manufacturing facility now so there was a a little bit of a heavy you know it's a little bit capital intensive but we didn't do any of that or consider it until the business started scaling rapidly that's awesome that you are you know heavily investing into your business i think that's the only way really to get to the levels that you want to get to so you know thanks so much for coming on grant so nutbutternation.com is the website anywhere else that you recommend the listeners check out they want to follow along with what you're doing with your brand uh, yeah, like uh, um, my personal website is just grantls.us, 
and that's where I write. And like I said, I just finished the first manuscript of a book, which will be coming out, I think, in July. And so you can check that out as well. And then um, the main social media channels, my username or my handle is always Grantham Ellis, G-R-A-N-T-H-A-M-E-L-L-I-S. Awesome. Thanks so much, Grant. Thank you. I appreciate it, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit Shopify.com for a free 14-day trial.